0: Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio, I am your host Mandy Beverly. This is a podcast for women, by women. As we know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but sometimes we know there can be a few stormy seas. So when the tough times happen, the proverbial hits the fan, what do you do? Who do you have to become in the process? That's the real story, and that's remarkable. We love to tell the story of women that are a few steps further ahead on their own entrepreneurial journey. They know exactly what it feels like to be where you are. So these women are not only paving the way for themselves, but they're also paving the way for women that follow in their footsteps. This is Remarkable Women Radio. Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio. I'm Mandy Beverley, and I am here with my guest Kirsty Salisbury, who is from Auckland, New Zealand. Welcome along, Kirsty. Thanks, Mandy. Great to be here with you. I'm really excited to talk to you because not only do you have a business called the Publishing Launchpad, um, but you also are host of a podcast for Let's Talk Near Death. So. Already, I'm my curiosity is piqued because I want to know, how did you get started in talking about near-death experiences?
1: Exactly. It's not your everyday Friday night drinks conversation. It's not something I ever expected to talk about, but it was this thing that was in me backtrack a little bit. I actually had my own near-death experience when I was 12 years old. So I guess that's where it's kind of been sitting for a long time, but I was really happy going through my life and not acknowledging this experience that I'd had, not really talking about it, just minding my own business and getting on with my life how I thought it should be. But this thing was always inside of me, this prompting that was in me to listen to my inner voice. I'm. You could say I'm a bit woo. You could say I'm a little bit out there, but I knew at some point I would end up talking about this. I was kind of just hoping that I wouldn't really have to talk about it. So quite a few years went by and then it got to the point where I really felt this rumbling of this conversation that needed to come out. And I, I guess I took the leap there. I started to talk about this and the obvious thing seemed to be to run a podcast. And I thought, oh no, what am I doing? I don't know how to do that. I started up this podcast thinking I'd put out about three or four stories. As you'll probably hear through our conversation today, I'm very, very passionate about our individual stories. And I believe that everybody has a story. I believe that our stories are very significant in the way that we live our lives and the way that they connect us together with different people. Stories are fascinating to me. So I thought I'd release about three or four of these episodes, and then I could get back to my life of ignoring this experience that I'd had, ignoring this big history of my life and just go back to normal everyday living. But the podcast episodes were so interesting, both to me, but it turns out they were quite interesting to other people as well. And I guess the podcast just grew its own legs, grew its own life, it started to get a bit of... Motion in it, people were coming on. So I interviewed about three or four people. They then said, Oh, have you spoken to this person? They had an experience. Because when I started, I didn't even know anybody who had had a near death experience. They're actually quite common, which is what I've learned through this process, but it was never something which I went into thinking, I'm going to go and talk about this topic and it's going to be really easy and I'm going to find people everywhere. People started referring people to me, then people would write to me with my email address and say, hey, I had an experience, do you want me to share? And it kind of just kept growing and I wasn't expecting that. So that's how I end up here. So my business is the Publishing Launchpad, which is all around storytelling. It's all around bringing our stories out to the surface because I've understood through my own experience of sharing my story how... I guess, how much freedom that can bring. I was a bit of a prisoner to my experience, not my near-death experience, but the things I'd been through, my life story, I felt like it, was, it wasn't it was a great thing. I'd held mm-hmm. it in for a long time. And I think when I learned how to embrace my story, I learned how to actually embrace my own life. And then it goes a little bit, a little step further, where now actually the topics that I'm focusing are on our death, dying, regrets and what we would consider to be all of these very negative, dark and hard topics. But that's because of my belief that when we embrace these harder topics is when we can truly live. And that's where our stories come out, the publishing launch pad. So we're all about storytelling. So whether that's through podcasting, whether that's sharing your own story or collecting other people's stories. So I coach people how to do their own podcast as well. It's through publishing books, through blogging, through all sorts of different avenues, but focusing on getting stories out so that we can, in your words probably more than mine, live a remarkable life, how we can truly live the life that we came here to live and have an amazing experience along the way because you know life is certainly very interesting. As we're recording this, we're in a pandemic. We're still in lockdown here in Auckland. It's been quite a few weeks and life is interesting. So that's, yeah, that's a glimpse into how I got
0: into talking about near-death experiences and running the publishing launchpad. So it's all about giving a voice for people about their lives, which is so important. As you're saying, it's so important to be able to talk about who we are and what we're doing. And it's all of our own personal stories that actually make us remarkable, exactly as you've said. And I love that you're building your whole business around that and also having the conversations that a lot of people are very challenged to have. And, you know, you can sort of be, there's one that's saying out there that, the only certainty we have, we're not going to get out of debt uh, of life alive. You know, we're that's not. One we're not. we're not. And so it's like, so what is this all about? And and having um lost a, a close friend earlier this year, um, and then turning, you know, having a birthday um just I'm not quite the birthday with the zero, but it's one where you go, well, the numbers are certainly stacking now. <laughs> and I go, you know what, my friend would have given her ITs to have another year. So yeah. I'm just going to embrace where I'm at, what I'm doing, and and just and it really helps settle that age factor around. Mm. Um and I love to actually sort of think, well, how can I use my time here more effectively? What else can I do? And, and actually start to go into the inquiry rather than sit there and, and have the fear part of it. And, mm. and I think a lot more people are, uh, are definitely requiring your services now as to how to speak about who they really are. I think it's so important.
1: Yeah, well, it brings us so much freedom. And that was the experience that I had. And I I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but there is an element of tapping into stories, tapping into who we truly are. And so this is a really big part of me in my life is trying to actually sit and connect to how can I make a difference while I'm here? Why am I here? Because I quite literally had a near-death experience. I quite literally died on an operating table and was brought back. So I'm going... Why did I come back? What's the point around this? What have I got to do? But we don't need to have the experience to be asking these questions. And so I look at life as almost like a coin. So a coin has two sides. You've got heads and tails. So if we look at a coin and it's life on one side and death on the other, one's not bigger or greater than the other. They're the same thing. It's just which side of the coin we're looking at. And yeah, one of my favorite sayings is none of us are getting out of here alive, which is exactly what you said. So why don't we embrace the elephant in the room and talk about it, which is, you know, by sitting still and trying to connect with what's my purpose, why am I here? Why did I come back? That's where it's all fed through to enabling other people to share stories. But at first I had to share my own, which was sort of my my big barrier, I suppose. But yeah, none of us are getting out of here alive.
0: I know it's crazy so how are you finding that your conversation you're saying is beginning to morph into more about death and dying and so how are you finding that's landing now with people
1: do you know it's more relevant today than it's ever been I think I think people are more receptive to having this conversation now well, it's interesting actually because if I people always ask me what do I do, and I go, "Oh, how do I answer that?" The easy answer is I run a publishing company. That's like the basic answer, but actually, I I'm a death coach. I'm a death doula, and that's somebody who helps someone to die at the end of their life. Goes through the whole process with them of understanding what they want for their death because I do believe we can die well. And so I do that. I'm a life coach. I do coaching. I coach the podcast. I do about six or seven different things. And I love it because I feel that they're all very interconnected. But if someone asks me, what do you do? And I say, I look at the spiritual side of death. I'm working with people as they come to the the idea that their their death is imminent or that they might be dying soon or a family member's dying. People go, oh, the spiritual side of death. And they'll either... Cling on and they want to ask every question. They go, What about this? What about that? What do you believe happens here? And it's this amazing, full blown conversation. Or suddenly they go, Oh, I need to go and talk to that person on the other side of the room (laughs) and they back off. So I feel like within the work that I'm doing, people are much more receptive right now. But at the same time, There's quite a big gap between people who really want to know answers, really want to find information and others who are absolutely terrified or maybe not quite at that stage and want to just take a little bit more time and go and find the person on the other side of the room. And that's entirely okay because it will come up at some point. And I, you know, my own beliefs come into this. I believe that we have different things that we have in our lifetime. And just because we think differently doesn't mean anyone's right or wrong. It's just that we're in a different place within our life and a different stage of our learning, of our processes of what we're experiencing. So, I, yeah, to answer your question, I feel like people are much more responsive, especially right now. Like I said, we've had the pandemic, we've had COVID. A lot of people have lost their lives or been confronted with we could die. And again, it doesn't take that to start the conversation, but when it becomes really real for us on an everyday I guess, in everyday landscape where it's something that we have to think about, people become a lot more open to having that conversation. So, yeah, I find it's great. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And even just say from last year when there was a different version of COVID um and that was so called going to affect the older generation and just to see the fear within that generation mm-hmm. of because suddenly we were isolating and you know and and that's not great for our immune system anyway mm-hmm. and so all of these sort of measures that have had to be in place and then for some go well you know that's nothing we've we've lived through this sort of thing before but for the rest of us, it's like, what's normal? What's not? What's you know? We have to really look at life. What are we doing? And you know, and if we sort of then having to look at the fear of death within that, it is actually starting to open up people's minds so much and in, into mm. who are we? What are we doing here? And you know, what do we want to be doing at the end of our life? Do we want? What do we want to look back on? That's a mm. that's an interesting question. So. If you know when you, I've never heard of the term a death doula before, so this is the first for me. Okay, um, yep. and I find that it's really interesting. I have a nursing background, and I've also, you know, just through the process with different people, I know it's a v- it's a real honour to be helping someone transition from this world to another, mm. and so. I'd love to know what are some of the things that you help them put into place? Because I know it'll be different for a lot of people, but what do you find it is that they're wanting the most? So i probably just and, ask three yeah. questions
1: and one there. <laughs> no, no, that's okay because it's a really big topic as well. And it's such a personal topic that everybody is different. Some people have a very clear idea of what they believe what they want, what some people have all of their affairs tidied up and others, they've never considered this thought. And they're probably the ones that are off to the other side of the room to look for somebody in particular as their excuse to get away. But it's really, it's very, very personal. It's very individual. So I think where a lot of my passion came from was when I, my father actually was in a plane crash and my father died. And what happened was we were in grief. We were struggling to come to terms. It was very sudden. It was an accident, which literally just happened. We had no warning of it, of it obviously. And then what happened, I was living in Switzerland at the time, had to get in a plane and fly to New Zealand to come and sort of be with a family and work through all of the stuff that was going on, which was just, you know, it wasn't what we were expecting at all. So to confront by getting in a plane. But then we got here. Every five minutes, there was a knock on the door. It was the police. It was the funeral director. It was the investigator from the um, aviation people who were looking into the crash site. There was this, there was that. And I was just thinking, how does somebody grieve in this situation? Luckily, we're really quite a good family, quite close family. So we all got together. We were able to go through this together and people took on different roles. But I was thinking, if you're on your own or if you don't have that family support, how do you go through... Managing this, plus grieving, plus putting together a funeral where you want to give the person the best send off and the best farewell, there's just too much going on. And then, if the person doesn't have any of their wishes written down, so if they don't have like their what they want for their funeral, what they've got for their will, who their solicitor is, what even what subscriptions they have you know, little everyday things. All of this information just piles onto the person who's trying to manage it all. And in the initial few days, there's quite a lot of support. But after that, that's where the support's needed. So that's where a lot of this came from for me was just thinking, I don't want other families to go through such a shocking experience. Like it was shocking because it just happened. But I want other people to be prepared. I want other people to have had the conversation. So it's all about storytelling. I want people to have had the conversation around what do they want for their death? Because there's a beautiful quote out there that says death should be one of the greatest events in life. And I have to kind of agree with that. And I think if we don't even talk about it, if we just don't acknowledge it, it's not going to be one of those great events. So somebody at the end stages of life, it may be that they just want some conversations We have to take into account what is their situation. Are they they elderly? Are they young? Is it an illness? Is it a long-term illness? Is it something that's come on quite quickly? There's so many factors to their situation. Then it's looking at what family members are around. What support do they have? What treatment options are there? Maybe there are treatment options. Maybe it's too advanced. Maybe there's other reasons why it's not there. And then we've got this thing where we look at death as failure. So within a hospital Ooh, environment, tell more. yeah,
0: tell us we more about that. to
1: lose a patient, to lose somebody, you you feel like you failed. And you know, I think, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not a doctor or in the medical field. I I couldn't handle it because I can't handle gory things and blood and things like that. I'd be useless. But to have that feeling that death is failure. We lost them. It it messes with my thinking. I've spent a lot of time thinking around this. So when we start to get to the point where it's hospice care or palliative care, where we're going beyond trying to find a treatment, where we're not trying to preserve the life, where we're at a stage where it'll actually be okay when they die, it's a very, very different place, a very different mindset.
0: It's kind so of a calming you know, mindset, isn't it, for a lot it of people? Is. It's actually everyone's just accepting where they're at and trying to make it okay for the person to have the best send-off they possibly can. Yeah,
1: it's about embracing what's happening, and that doesn't mean it's easy because, oh, my goodness, it can be the hardest thing even though you know it's coming even though you've been on that journey for so long to actually have those final moments saying goodbye can be so incredibly painful. It doesn't mean it's easy, but you're right. It is much more calming because you get to the point where I guess it's getting to the point of acceptance of understanding that this is going to happen. So we take away the failure element. We take away a lot of the things that get in the way of being able to truly live. So what do people want right at the end of their life? A lot of it is conversation. A lot of it is just support, wanting to have somebody there to help them. Um, Some of it's knowledge, like understanding what, what systems are available, how the systems work. You have medical people who are involved, obviously, who can help them from the medical point of view. But I think probably more often than not, people actually just want to have somebody with them to talk, to be still, to understand, to process what's happening for them.
0: Do you act like you are um, a bridge between what the person wants and what the family need or do you help the person that's, that's dying? Do you help them have the conversations that maybe the family aren't ready to have or is it a bit of a mix of two? Definitely a bit of a mix
1: of two because it's it's about their personal situation. Sometimes the families aren't local. They're not able to be there to be so involved in what's happening. If it's a long-term or a chronic illness, then maybe they're not able to be there for years on end at that level that they want to. There may be broken relationships. There may be just miscommunication or not understanding our medical systems. There's a lot of different things, which is why I say it all comes back to being the individual scenario, whatever's happening for these individuals. But a lot of them just want to actually sit and chat and understand and process their thoughts. So I've got a lot of questions that I go through. I haven't been to the very end stages with a lot of people yet um, because I've had a lot of people through my podcast in particular come to me who have maybe had a terminal diagnosis, who have been told you have three months or six months. If there is a family who has got somebody who's hurting or been diagnosed with something there, they might come and say, how do we show up the best for our family? How do we become the best versions of ourselves to support them when they're going through it, but it's affecting us as well. So it can be anything and anything in between. It's a very, yeah, that doesn't really give you much information. It doesn't really answer your question, but it's very unique as to what they need. A lot of people just want the conversation. It's asking the questions around, you know, I take a very holistic view. So it's asking around your belief systems, but then there's the practical things. Then you've got things like wills and power of attorney and all these types of things. But then it's once you've died, what are your wishes afterwards? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? How do you want to be remembered? We talk about legacy. Lots and lots of different parts of this enormous thing, which is all still connected to the way that we live. So focusing on death while we're living is a very interesting concept, but it all just comes together for them in the individual situation, I suppose.
0: I think that's a really interesting concept that a lot more people need to embrace. Oh, definitely. You know, because I lost my father quite suddenly and all of a sudden there's these decisions to make and people, as you say, show up. But then there's also these random things that I've got in speech marks as we're talking of a friend, very close friend, a minister friend of mum and dad's who just happened to be driving by and thought they'd call in and they live in Whakatane and they were down in Christchurch. And it was just, and he was there at just the right time and talked us through all the service thing, cause he wasn't going to be able to be there for it. Um, and all these pe- just so many interesting things, but how to have the conversation, what to sort of be talking about, what is it that, that we do want for ourselves. And, um, I just think it's so important and I just love what you said about actually preparing for it while we're still alive and so that we we can help steer people through that whole process because otherwise mm. they're at a loss and they can be at a loss for years sometimes. And, um, you know, and I think it's just so important that we actually do give them guidance at that time mm. Mm. Haven't you written a book about all of that? I have.
1: I was just about to say that. I've made it a little bit easier for people. Um, My book is called Dying Well, and it's an approachable guide to embracing death because of the scenario that we went through with my father dying suddenly was what do we need to know? What would have been helpful if he had written that down? What would make anyone? And, you know, we talk about we assume that death is for older people. We assume that death is for people who are sick, who are struggling with something, but death happens every day to fit in healthy young people. It happens to anyone. And so why we, you know, we kind of think it's going to happen to everyone else, but not us, which is why we push it away and we don't potentially talk about it until much later in life. Whereas I want to open the conversation and be talking about it now, because I think it would be so much easier to talk about it, but like we've touched on, it can be very painful. So it's not the easiest thing if you've got a family member who's not well, say, okay, well, we know you're not well, you're probably not going to last too much longer, which just sounds awful. I say it that way to make a point, let's sit down and plan out your death. It's just, you can't really do that. So I created this guide out of my own experience, which is called Dying Well, and it just goes through holistically all of these different areas of life and asks you different things. It's it's not just the the information; it also brings in what were the family jokes, what was it like to fall in love? You know, it, it highlights some of the fun, positive things as well. Because I don't know about you, um, don't know about you, Mandy, but we've been to many funerals, and you go to a funeral and you find out all this information about somebody, and you go, "Oh, I didn't know that. I had no clue. I feel like I didn't even know this person." And if you weren't there at the funeral, if you didn't know the story, They take it to their grave with them. And like I say, it all comes back to storytelling for me. I want to get those stories out. What do you want to be remembered for? What were the funniest things that happened in your life? So we look at different things as we go through the book, positive things and also practical things. But it does touch on what do you think happens after you die? What do you want done with your body after you die? How do you want to be remembered? So whilst it sounds quite morbid, it's very, very practical and very important mostly for the people that remain, the ones that are still living and having to deal with all of the affairs. And that sounds quite cold as well, to deal with things, but actually it's a process to go through all of this. Affairs need to be tidied up, things need to be rounded up and dealt to, I suppose. That's, that's really the only way to say it is that that needs to be done if we can make that easier for our loved ones who are left behind by having everything in order. It means that they're unable to grieve the way that they need to. They're able to go through the process that they need to go through as well. Because when we delay that, that's where we step into all sorts of new territory where you can have funeral regret, where maybe you don't feel like you said goodbye well enough. You didn't recognize their life well enough. There's so many things there and, or maybe I didn't do a good job, or maybe we didn't miss somebody you know, we start to question so many things in our heads. So if we can go through it when the person is actually quite able to go through the conversation, it's going to make everything a lot easier down the track.
0: Do you have a um, a section in there for logins? Because I know where my dad died, the login for his computer baffled us for days. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's a tough one, isn't it? Now you've got password managers, which are really, really great. And I would absolutely advise people, to have one person who knows something, one login so there there is a place to write things subscriptions and logins and things like that because they're the things that we have today they weren't around 10-15 years ago it's a different way of thinking death evolves which is really interesting to me because death has changed throughout the centuries the way we celebrate it, the way we anticipate it, the way that we look at it is always changing and evolving so yeah, definitely. It's something really handy to have in there, isn't it?
0: Well, it's the practical stuff. And at the end of the mm. day, if it's all there, then they, um, people don't get confronted by, you know, because you hear terrible stories as they rock up to either post offices or banks or, you know, which are making it harder and harder anyway. Um You know, I need the death certificate before I do that, or I need this, and it can be very cold and and quite confronting for people when they haven't kind of got everything all sorted for themselves. So, thank you for putting that together, Mm -hmm. Kirsty. That's amazing, and what an amazing resource. So, we do need to absolutely make sure that that is found by a lot more people for sure. Oh, definitely. If we can make it easier for our families, to
1: me, that's love as well. Leaving a big mess behind—that's not very loving. No.
0: So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, that would be oh God! I'd look at my email inbox and think, oh my poor family. You know? <laughs> <laughs> delete, delete. Yeah, yeah. No. Really, really blow up <laughs> So um so you've also um helping women or well, and men, I guess, um publish their stories through the publishing launch pad as well. Yeah. And what are some of the things that you've got that um that are coming up um under that umbrella?
1: Well, we've got quite a lot coming up, which is really exciting because everyone's been in lockdown. They've had the opportunity to write the book that they always dreamed of, to get their story together, to do the research that the book was waiting on. So I'm at the point now where all of the books are coming through because people have had the headspace to be able to take some time and understand that. Also, as we're talking about loss and we're talking about how much the world is changing, people are connecting very much with, I want to leave a legacy a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've got got—I've got quite a few children's books on the go, which isn't something I ever thought I'd branch into, but it's just the way it's happened. But it's people leaving books for their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren or their future great-grandchildren because they want to leave a legacy. They want to be remembered. So that's really beautiful to me. And some of them are quite personalized using the grandchildren's name in there. The stories and the characters are based around their own family members and I really, really like this. So we've got a few kids' books coming through, children's books coming through, which are really fun. I enjoy these projects, locks. They're fun and vibrant and often very colourful. Yeah, I've just finished doing one, which it was just stunning. It was a poetry book around dementia. So it was some sisters who had pulled together poetry, and they document well journaled their mothers. I guess the last few years of her life as she had dementia and as she was starting to be in a place where she was going downhill quite fast and they just done it in the most beautiful way, not focusing in on the pain, but recognising the pain and recognising everything that was going on, acknowledging that, but it was just the most beautiful, uplifting, amazing book. I'm not all that big into poetry, but I loved reading this book. They said, we don't want anything negative. We don't want anything dark and depressing. And we came out with what I really love, this beautiful cover with butterflies on it. And we incorporated a lot of their own photography into this book. And so that was a really beautiful project. So that was very heartfelt and spirit-based for me. It was all about trying to make dementia gosh, I don't know that you can say, you can't say lighthearted. It was just taking a different perspective. It was acknowledging the journey that people go on. So that was really beautiful. I've got some research books coming through. Um, uh, I do attract spiritual books where people have had the most amazing experiences or they're on a journey. They've done research in different fields, some of those coming through. So that's beautiful. But we do all sorts of stuff and you know, we've done biographies, we've done poetry books, we've done all sorts of different books and it's all around getting the stories out. And that's the greatest thing when you see people and they hold up their book in front of social media and they say, Hey, look what I did. And you can tell that they've been on this journey of releasing, which has been amazing. And they've faced their fears or they've faced their story and come to a point where they're really proud of who they are and they've experienced growth. It's a really, really beautiful thing. So It sounds really nice. Lots in the pipeline.
0: Lots in the pipeline. Um, And do you just guide them through that? Are you? um, Do you have a team of you know within what you do? Or um, because I guess. The process of writing is one thing but it's the editing and the editing and the editing that actually
1: <laughs> it does go on for a little bit well I can do I shouldn't say it does writing a book generally takes a lot longer than what you think it will mm-hmm. so we advise people we guide people through the writing process I do outsource my editing I don't feel that my editing editing skills are quite where they should be so I outsource that part but I've got a team we all work together we do collectively we do the editing we do the design we do the layout the graphics all of these types of things then we do the I guess the more formal things like registering it for an ISBN number getting it all pulled together making sure that it's all done legally so there's there's different parts of the process but um yeah I've got a team that I can call on I try and do the majority of it myself but definitely I think every book I call on someone in the team to help me out because, you know, I've got quite a lot going on and I love to put these stories out. I absolutely love it, but it's great to have a team to be able to bounce back and forth from. So So where do
0: you think this love of stories actually started? Just to even circle back, because, you know, your whole business is now all about telling stories about people's lives. So where do you where do you think it actually started?
1: Gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, I look at little children and they love stories. You look at older people and they love stories. And I think when we're busy in life, we kind of forget about stories and stories start off as an enjoyment thing and an educational thing. And I think for a while in life when we're busy and we go through stages of working or studying and raising families and getting out there and paying mortgages and doing life, which is all good stuff, I think we can forget the enjoyment piece. So, I'm I'm not actually too sure, Mandy. I think maybe it goes right back to to when I was younger. I just loved listening to stories. I don't know. I mean, I love TV as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> it goes, I, we love to be entertained, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I I think that's it. And then I think for me to go through my own significant release through story, I love to read books and special biographies and autobiographies to understand how people lived I love to see glimpses into people's lives I really enjoy that so I think that's probably always been there but probably as a child just loving
0: stories oh it's it's wonderful um so who which books do you think have influenced you the most or people for that matter that um oh have influenced goodness. you <laughs> that is such
1: a hard one to answer
0: because
1: I've read so many books I love books I love stories as you know
0: it's really, really tough. I had one, um, just to give you some time to think. I had yeah, one, I'm asking myself <laughs> the same question. And I read a book called Nothing Ventured, Nothing Game by Sir Edmund Hillary when I was 14. And that yeah. made quite an impression on me. You know, it was, um, and I mean, I'd read Black Beauty, and you know, and all of those sort of things when I was a kid, and loved all of those. But for some reason, Sir Edmund Hillary's book really stuck out for me at fourteen. Just to, you know, have that as a little motto as a teenager, as you're growing up, I think is actually it was quite influential for me. So, yeah, um, you know, so. But there's there's lots, of course, because um, you take something from lots of different books. Exactly. yeah. Yeah. There's lots of different angles. Like, if you gave me one particular
1: niche, I could say, oh, that book really influenced me, or someone's story really influenced me. It's hard to say that there's one book that changed my life completely, but lots of books collectively have, you know, I've gained little things out of them, or they've inspired me or spurred me on to do things. And I think a huge amount of the books that I love are the ones where they have a resilience thing where they face hardship they face something tough and then they move on and they get through it and they they end up stronger because of what they've faced and that they understand that if we go through tough stuff that actually life can be better life can be more interesting we can be stronger at the end of it and that's made me always feel like I can shoot for the stars and I don't necessarily think that failure is a thing and so a lot of these books have made me realize that we can just go for life and not worry about failing.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because one question I asked a previous guest a little while ago is what have you learnt from failure? Because I always look at the benefits of the experiences that we have, because I, I have a firm belief there's nothing random in our universe. So, mm. so what have, what do you perceive you've learned from failure, even though, there is none. So what do you learn through those the tough times as such? We, for you? Yeah, we learn how to adapt. We learn how to try
1: something slightly differently, go around the mountain rather than through it or through it rather than round it, over it. There's all sorts of things that we learn but we learn how to do things slightly differently and so that gives us more experience it gives us a stronger I guess a stronger toolkit where we've got more in our toolkit that we're able to use. It gives us a variety of different things. And so I feel like we have a richer life because we have to adapt. We have to try new things. And I think in Headspace, it gives us a different way of looking at things. We feel more capable when we feel more confident, not necessarily at the time. I don't want to downplay crisis moments. I don't want to downplay things that are really tough and say, well, you know, Pollyanna, let's just smile and get through it smiling. I actually think we need to embrace tough times. We need to embrace grief. We need to embrace loss. We need to embrace all of the emotions that we feel when things are really tough, but then not camp out and live there. That's where we go, okay, this happened, go through it, embrace it. But there comes a certain time, I believe, when we know that actually we could move on a little bit from it or we could adapt from it. I don't think we get over things. I think we learn how to live differently with things. If somebody loses a leg or an arm, they don't learn how to grow that back, but they do learn how to live a life without that limb being there. And so we adapt our lifestyle. We adapt everything. And in doing that, we become stronger, more capable. And I think we can probably change our mindset on anything. We can train our mindset to believe what we need to believe to get through things but I'm not saying that that's always easy.
0: It's it's not always easy, but I think there are different strategies out there that are now mm. actually, because it's all about opening your mind and not actually dumping on yourself and, and things like that. It's like, okay, this has happened. What can I do about it now? And if you go ask why it's happening, then generally you just going Googling in the brain and you'll come up with, you know, generally quite a mean answer. But if you can be asking, you know, what is this in my life for? What am I got to learn about it? And then you can see why it happens. Like all the things mm. that you talk about is, there's a deeper meaning towards it. Mm. Mm. And so why not actually find out what that is? That would be just the most, you know, that could be an amazing thing.
1: Exactly. And because you talked about why is this happening to me, that was one of my very big big questions early on in my life when I was going through some really tough stuff. And I remember going, why is this happening to me? And then I went, hang on a minute. Why is this happening to me? you know, not in the same breath or that quickly, but over a few days, it changed to where I was questioning and my outlook changed because of the way that I was asking the question. The words are exactly the same, but it was the way that I was framing the question. It was, why is this? What can I learn? How can this help me? And so I think it's all about how we look at it. But a big part for me is to actually sit and to be connected to this lifetime, connected to purpose, connected to spirit, whatever you want to call it, and just asking why these ha- things happening to me, whether it's with... easy or hard.
0: Yeah. No, sorry. I was just going to say, I came across this, um, it's called cool quote by an old philosopher called Plotinus from about 2005 AD. Okay. And, it's, um, and it says, we are not separated from spirit. We are in it. And yeah. I just thought that was actually pretty cool as far as because we talk about spiritual as if it's a thing to be separate, but it's actually it's just all part of us. And yeah. and I just thought that was an amazing quote. And that was from 205 AD. So that's you know, amazing, isn't it? I think,
1: yeah, back in back in the older times, I think they really knew quite a lot more. I think we've complicated things. We've made things harder than they need to be, but yeah, absolutely. We are spirit. We are in spirit. Spirit is all around us. It's quite hard to actually define something like that, but absolutely. So if we can sit and connect and find what our part is in this whole big thing, in this world, in this environment, I think that if we take that time to connect we can live a much better life where we're asking, why is this happening to me? Not, oh, why is
0: this happening to me with a frustration? Or why is this always happening to me? Or Yeah, why do I say the same
1: things? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we've all been there. Well,
0: of totally. course we have. Of course we have. Yeah, but yeah. that's right. We're, we're trying and that's, and that's the, most, the most important thing. Um, so as far as publishing goes, what, you know, what do you think is the most important thing for people to know about your industry? Or if I ask it a different way, what sort of myth do you want to debunk about publishing?
1: I think anyone can publish and I I believe this is what people are starting to see now, we've got self-publishing coming in where people are realizing that anyone can publish. What we don't want to do is get really low quality in that. But I think for years and years to put out a book, we saw that as a massive amount of time, a massive amount of money, massive amount of emotional energy. And it was really in the too hard to do it was out there in that basket whereas I think it's become very commonplace to be able to do that I think anyone is capable to put out a book and I'm not saying it's easy my first book I rewrote over and over and over and over again and I never thought that I'd get it done and it was with some help and some support that I finally went okay let's just get this out there and that it was then when I realized that actually I can do this because I'd had so many moments of thinking who am I I can't do this but actually, I think anyone can do it, and then now I've written three books, and I think anyone can do it. I think it's a beautiful process, again, not always easy, but when we go through writing a book, getting a message out into the world, it's very free it brings a lot of freedom. It's very it's a very interesting process that it stirs some things up within us, and I think that's probably a good thing. I think things that are easy, yes, let's do them, but let's not always pursue the easiest things to do in life. So I think if it's there and it's kind of turning around in your tummy, if you feel like, oh, I'd like to get a book out or there's a book in there trying to get out, then I would say go and pursue that. Go and have a go at getting your story out into the world and we can help you with that. So it's for everyone.
0: Have you got another book on the way? Look, I've always got a book on the way.
1: (laughs) I've got a few drafts started. One of them's got about three or four chapters, but I don't know. It's it's there. It'll come out at the right time. Even my first one, I said, one day I'm going to write a book. And it took many, many, many years, probably 30 years to come out because I knew from very early on when I had my own experience that I'd write a book about it one day. It took a long time to get to the point where I was ready emotionally to A, confront that this thing had happened and then to be able to put it out into the world. And it was a very, very scary experience, but it was one that gave me so much freedom. So it was well worth doing. So I've got a couple of other books in the pipeline. I I couldn't tell you it's not on the immediate radar. It's for when the time comes, I wait for, I guess, what I'd call downloads when I feel very, very empowered to go and write more or to, put a lot of time and energy into it and that comes and I guess fits and starts it will happen at some point it's not in the immediate near future
0: what does the download for those that might be confused about what that is what does that feel like for you
1: wow that's a really cool question it feels gosh how do you put that into words it feels like there's not an urgency but just a I really want to do this right now. And so if it's writing, I just feel inspired. I want to come and I want to sit down. I want to tap away on my laptop and get out whatever's in me. I just feel like I've got something that I want to type out. If it's about having conversation with someone, I feel like I just can't wait. I've got to phone them or I'm feeling like they're constantly on my mind. So I have to phone them because this thing's on my mind nonstop. It might be that I have a dream and wake up and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what I need to do today. doesn't always happen quite like that, but it yeah, downloads, they happen in all different forms, but I guess it's inspired action. When I take action, it's inspired from something that's bigger than myself. It's from something which it almost feels like it's got its own nature, its own flow. A little bit like when I talked about when I set up my own podcast in the beginning, that it then started to take on its own motion and People were suddenly coming to me saying, I've got a story rather than me thinking, how do I go and find this? It starts to come in. So it feels a lot easier. The ideas start to flow. They start to feel easier. And I think it's just, yeah, from there taking one step in front of the other to bring the stories out.
0: And also just listening to yourself, which is great, because so yeah. many times we can actually try and drown that voice out, and that voice is not normally the mean voice, is it? That voice is usually, this is something that you really want to be looking at. This, this is yeah. just let it, let it out. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a different voice. Well, that's what I like to tell. Yeah, um, I
1: think we yeah. all know within ourselves what we need to be doing. We might be covering that up. We might be covering it up with all sorts of things, whether it's relationships or eating or over-exercising or under-exercising. You know, we can put all sorts of things on being busy, being social, being anti-social. We can cover up what we feel we need to be doing. But when we sit down and we centre and we take some time to connect into what am I meant to be doing with this lifetime? I think we actually know deep down what it is. Whether we want to face it and do it or not it's another story, but I think we know. But what I know from listening to that voice is when we follow those promptings or those little inclinations, when we get the butterflies in our tummy, that is when life becomes the most exciting, the most right. fun, and those feelings have never got me wrong. Those feelings of this is what's bubbling in me, I, I need to go and do this if I could do anything in my life. That's what I feel like would be right for this week or this moment or this year. Those things turn into amazing projects. They're exciting. They, I mean, they're not straightforward, but they don't tend to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's where the podcast came out of was feeling just literally, I have to go and do this. I can't not, I have to go and do this.
0: I was terrified let's talk near death. I mean, that is a, that's an out there topic.
1: Exactly, exactly. I really wasn't too keen on doing that. But now it's one of the most favourite things that I do. It's been the most rewarding thing. You know, I think, oh, imagine if I hadn't done that, how, how much I would have missed out on, how much other people would have missed out on because the emails and the feedback that I get from my work and you just think, how can that have a difference? How can I possibly create any impact in the world from talking about these experiences. But that's where the storytelling piece comes in. It creates freedom, just not just for the person who's sharing the story, but the one that's hearing it, the one that then relays it, the one that does the research around it.
0: We've all got a story. We've all got a story. I love that. Yeah. So when the going gets tough, what do you do? You know, because I like to keep things real, you know, because we all know that proverbial can hit the fan. We've already talked about it. When life's not easy, what do you do and how do you cope? And is there something that our listeners could actually take from this?
1: Yeah, I love to be active. I find getting out of my environment, if whatever environment I'm in isn't working for me, I love to shake it all up, get out. So whether that's getting out and going for a run or going for a walk along the beach, I love to take my shoes off and walk along the sand. If it's to go and go for a drive, take the dog for a walk, whatever it is, just shake up my environment. But I find being active really changes everything because suddenly I'm breathing in fresh air. So my lungs are filled. I feel like I refresh my whole body. Um, there's There's something about nature. Nature is very refreshing, very healing. So to get out and be amongst the trees or the waves at the beach or something like that, really just does wonders for me. And I try and get out for a walk every day just because if I sit here in front of my laptop all day, my, my mental state isn't as good as it could be. So it might not be that it's bad, but it's not the best it can be. And I'm constantly trying to be the best that I can be, not in terms of a striving point of view, but I will pursue opportunities. I will try and do things and do things well. And so I know that a part of that means that I need to drink my water. I need to eat well. I need to exercise. I need to get out the house. I need to stand up away from my laptop sometimes. So there's that. There's also having conversations. I've got a couple of girlfriends who are just amazing. And when we get together, we just laugh and laugh and laugh. And I think that laughter is You know, it's medicine for us. It's food for our soul. It changes everything for us. So I try and laugh. So getting out, trying to laugh and just connecting with people that I really love on a regular basis. So that makes a massive difference for me. And also knowing that I've got some people that I can call on when things are really tough, whether that's the workload's really tough and I need to outsource and I need to have someone on my team do something for me. That's great. But it's also... I just actually need to have a conversation or I need to vent this or process this or whatever it is. So changing my environment, I think, is probably the biggest tip. And I think it works for everyone.
0: Change your environment. Definitely. Great advice. Thank you, Kirsty. Now, a question that I love to ask people is if you could invite three people alive or dead to come and have dinner one night, who would it be and why would you choose them?
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing. Do you know my brain immediately goes, am I going to have to cook? (laughs) Am I responsible for these amazing people? Do I have to cook?
0: Let's say Um, no. Let's say no. Okay. Say no. We're going to get
1: someone to come and cater. That's perfect. Definitely my father. He died very suddenly in the plane crash. I would love, I'd love to actually just chat to him and understand what happened there because I've still got questions. He was my hero. I absolutely loved him. We didn't see eye to eye earlier in life. But by, by the time that I was a bit older, our relationship was very strong and he was, he was like my best friend. He was just amazing. So definitely him. He can sit at the head of the table and he'll probably take over the whole conversation, which will be great. We're talking about stories and I would love to invite Oprah. She's like the story queen. She's met so many people. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to sit down and chat with her. It's quite hard to narrow it down to three because I'm quite visual. So I'm seeing a table with like 12 spaces and I'm going, I can only fill three of them. <laughs> you so can have as many as you want. As <laughs> many as I like. I think, gosh, yeah, there's, there's so many people. I think someone like Mother Teresa would be amazing. I'd love to hear from her what, what was going through her mind, what inspired her. You know, there's books and all sorts of things out there about her, but I just think she would be amazing actually to sit down and just to hear her stories. I can imagine sitting on a street with her and just devouring her story. She's had so many life experiences and seen so much. So I think, yeah, I'm going to go with those three. My father, who's going to be the life of the party, the loud one. Then Oprah, actually, they might be on (laughs) par. Oprah, who's (laughs) going to, I don't know, she'd just be fabulous. And then someone like Mother Teresa, who would just, I don't know, I'd just love to connect with her. So
0: Amazing. A very interesting table. I'd love to be there as well. Oh, (laughs) you can come. We can have an extra space. (laughs) So how do people get hold of you, Kirsty?
1: Well, it depends what you're after. If you want to listen to the podcast, it's the Let's Talk Near Death podcast. If you're after talking about death and dying, then it's kirstysalsbury.com. And you can find me on YouTube, you can find me on social media. If you want to learn about publishing and getting your own story out, or perhaps you've got a podcast, you want to get featured on podcasts, you want to learn how to do your story more through an audio method rather than books, then it's the publishinglaunchpad.com. So lots of different ways to get a hold of me. I do a lot of different things because I love it and it's really enjoyable. And that's what I'm talking about when we live an inspired life. It's really exciting and fun. And yeah, I love it.
0: It's brilliant. And I love the way that you have everything quite categorized. Um, you know, for all the different aspects of what you do. So thank you so much for that. That's brilliant. And thank you so much for coming along today and speaking. I really enjoyed talking with you about different topics that are not commonplace. And that's what I love to do as well. So thank you so much for joining me, Kirsty. Oh, thank you, Mandy. Thank you for having me. I could talk about
1: this stuff all day. So I love it. Thank you so much. And I hope that that's helpful for the listeners. Thank
0: you. It is. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Remarkable Woman Radio. For more episodes and more details of today's show, please go to remarkablemindset.com. Let me ask you, what makes you remarkable?